In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. If the racist white person, I don't mean the person who is examining his consciousness and so on, doesn't understand that he or she is also a race, it's also constructed, it's also made, and it also has some kind of serviceability. But when you take it away, I take your race away. And there you are, all strung out, and all you got is your little self. And what is that? What are you without racism? Are you any good? Are you still strong? Are you still smart? Are you still like yourself? I mean, these are the questions. It's, part of it is, yes, the victim, how terrible it has been for black yeah, people. You like that. I'm not a victim. I refuse to be one. And the victim is the other person who is morally inferior and that's who what, that's has a serious to hold question. on to of course. racism if you to have somehow to hold, that's for a, his or her own self-esteem and definition. If you can only be tall because somebody's on their knees, then you have a serious problem. Betches Media presents. Donald Trump was a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter, too. That's what I'm doing. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. Yeah. President. The Betches Suck Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where Twitter meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. The clip you just heard today, that was Toni Morrison in conversation with since-canceled interviewer Charlie Rose. The context is he basically asked her, do you, even as Toni Morrison, still encounter racism? It's about a three-minute clip. Yeah, it's a really weird question. It's about a three-minute clip, and the hardest thing I've done today is pick of one full minute. It's incredible. Um, so she sort of explains how, you know, everyone has a race. We're all impacted by racism, including white people. And earlier in that clip, she explains how she always knew that she was morally superior. Um, have you ever heard that clip before? I I think I have. Um, there's a, a lot of Morrison, um, a lot a lot of Morrison work I've, I've heard over the years, um, whether that's like interviews or um, reading. Um, so yeah, I, I was familiar to some degree with like how Toni Morrison conceptualizes uh, race at least. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, I'm not, I'm not Toni Morrison level, so I wouldn't go around being like, I'm morally yeah. superior. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I definitely think I mean, a certain I amount of, there's an awareness that comes with growing up as a Black person in this particular society where you're very aware of who you are and you have to kind of construct your, your self-image with the awareness that you're going to face certain things. Um, I think that like one of the things that she's talking about is like you, if you're not aware at all that those things even exist, you're constructing your entire identity around the idea that you don't have Mm. a race, which is a lot of white people. And then it becomes really painful to have to 
like actually process what it means to have constructed a society on white supremacy. That's like brutal. Right. Yeah. The way that she, I would recommend watching it too, because the way she's just like really expressive when she talks about how, like envisioning how somebody would react, a racist person, when you take all of that away. And it is, it's at the end of the day, when you have nothing, you're like, well, at least I'm white. And I think that's what a lot of people I just felt, I thought of those, those capital writers. Cause today I also read a story about how a lot of them were um, in like huge financial messes. They were sort of middle-class people that got into some bad business dealings and just felt generally aggrieved and felt like they were entitled to something. And there was probably only one reason why. Yeah. I mean, I mean, gosh, this is like a dissertation. No, um, I know. <laughs> I'm over here trying to be like, let's be succinct about like how white identity has constructed itself. But uh, to kind of borrow from another uh, great black writer who doesn't have uh, a lot of ton of audio clips because turn of the century, mm-hmm. um, W.B. Du Bois uh, has wrote about something called the wages of whiteness, which is this investment that whiteness gives white people you know when you walk around you know that you're simply worth more society will treat you better like it's it's not a literal form of wealth because there are plenty of white people who are poorer than some black people although i will continue to remind you that the median uh white family household wealth is around one hundred seventy thousand dollars, and the uh, average black median household wealth is about seventeen thousand and which means that like about half of black people are on the other side of that line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so generally speaking, oh, right. black people out of this conversation, um, <laughs> exceptions, not rules. Right. But, but like when you, the thing is, is that, you know, that there's a certain investment, a certain floor in whiteness. Right. And, and that's what, when people hit it, that's the last thing that they have. (laughs) It's the thing keeping them from toppling over into the abyss, right? Like, at least I'm white. At least I'm not the other. Yeah, you just vocalized that expression that that she has in that video, that hitting the floor and that abrupt feeling. People just just cannot handle it. I'll post that clip in full on our Instagram later if you want to watch all of it. So today we are going to talk about a really mediocre, if not totally inadequate white man, President, former President Donald J. Trump. So yesterday began the Senate's impeachment trial, of course. And it definitely, to me, felt like the beginning of a sports movie where like one team is just so outmatched, but instead of an inspiring coach, they just have an insurrectionist former president. We were talking before this how I definitely thought this was going to be on the more uneventful side with the foregone conclusion, which I still think, but there ended up being um, quite a lot of surprises. (laughs) So what we're mainly talking about right now is the shockingly inept display of Trump's legal team. But first, I want to break down a Democrat's performance. Three House impeachment managers yesterday presented their arguments, and they basically focused their statements on why trying a former president is fair game. This is like the same conversation we've been having for three weeks, um, but we had it again yesterday. Most notably before that, they showed a 13-minute uninterrupted video montage of the January 6th insurrection and Trump's lack of interest in stopping it even while it was happening. Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri told reporters that it was the longest time I've sat down and just watched straight footage of what was truly a horrendous day. What? What is he talking about? This is the first time he was there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Republicans have gone like 
super, yeah, hardcore in, in just denying the reality of everything. Like, it is incredible to me that, like, they, they've done this with everything. Like, oh, I, I just didn't watch. Oh, I just didn't oh, see. Oh, yeah. Oh, I just didn't. You know, because it gives them plausible deniability, but also I'm sure it's like their own coping mechanism, right? Like when this psycho insurrectionist racist takes over your party, you can try to stand up to him and lose your entire political career, or you could just pretend he's not there. Mm-hmm. Keep keep going, you know? Right. It reminds me of like about a week ago after AOC's live, they were asking, like even Fox News was asking more Republican lawmakers about it. And they were like, well, I, nobody banged on my door. I I didn't see that happen. So I can't be sure. I can't be sure, which is like just the extreme of I didn't see the tweet. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, you know, we, we talked about abuse tactics. It, questioning somebody's interpretation of reality, questioning someone's lived actual experience going back to the whole Morrison thing it just all ties together right because like that's that is its own form of abuse to the abuser it's it's really not fun to live through where you're like the Tulsa race massacre happened they're like no it didn't only five people were dead and you're like they literally like used civilian aircraft to firebomb things like it's real and they're like nope didn't happen and then this happens like a century and a half and then they're like oh maybe something happened. And that's the same thing that's happening here is like, uh, did it really? And like that, like neglecting the truth of that. I mean, yeah. it's painful to be on the receiving end, but these people are just destroying their own minds. I went to the, um, I went to the doctor yesterday and I had to like fill out a questionnaire about, you know, like drinking and drug habits. And the way that they were framed was not like, yes, does drink this much. They were framed as denies drinking alcohol, admits to this much, admits to that much, denies using. And it just made me think of how we talk about Republicans in Congress because we're like, we don't say that they do or don't believe this. We say they either admit or deny it. But because the the idea that they would ever acknowledge the true fact is just out, out the window. I mean, that's a very shady doctor's office, I'd also like to say, where it's I like, know. you know you're drinking, okay? <laughs> there is no option. No, you're not, sweetie. No one's a teetotaler these days, okay? okay? It's a pandemic. It's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I also get really thrown off when there's only one section for illegal drugs. I'm like, I mean, in my state, anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of 
gifts do you have for Dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So lead impeachment manager Jamie Raskin opened arguments on constitutionality by basically saying not only would the framers want us to do this, it's basically the whole point of America's founding idea or one of them that we don't have a king that can act with impunity. But he also connected the proceedings to the personal impact that day had on thousands of people who work at the Capitol. I think this is something that's been hitting me a bit more recently is just we were really focused on individuals that day. And there are some celebrities in Congress, and then we see those ones on TV the most, but there are 435 members. There are a hundred senators. They all have big staffs. There's, and then hundreds more people that work there. We're talking about thousands of people impacted who have tens of thousands of family members who think about them. And I thought they did a really good job connecting all of that yesterday, specifically Jamie Raskin, So Representative Raskin buried his 25-year-old son the day before the Capitol insurrection. He said that his family wanted to all be together. And so he brought his daughter and son-in-law to the Capitol to witness the electoral vote count. When things started getting dangerous, um, they were in an office he couldn't get to once the Capitol had been breached. So let's listen to him recall what happened then. And all around me, people were calling their wives and their husbands, their loved ones to say goodbye. Members of Congress, in the House anyway, were removing their congressional pins so they wouldn't be identified by the mob as they tried to escape the violence. Our new chaplain got up and said a prayer for us, and we were told to put our gas masks on. And then there was a sound I will never forget, the sound of pounding on the door like a battering ram the most haunting sound I ever heard, and I will never forget it. My chief of staff, Julie Tagan, was with Tabitha and Hank locked and barricaded in that office, the kids hiding under the desk, 
placing what they thought were their final texts and whispered phone calls to say their goodbyes. They thought they were going to die. And there was, you know, many more minutes of that, that he doesn't speak a lot because he's overcome with emotion, just remembering that day. And he follows up by saying that his daughter was like, I'm never coming back here. Never coming back here. Yeah. Um, it's been like the scope of it has been kind of forestalled by a lot of people turning the whole thing into abstraction and getting it back into like horse race politics. And, you know, and I think that it's, I, I think it's an incredible, incredible act to let it hit completely what it meant to have that, that happened. Like a lot of people went with the, you know, absurdity route and I think like that's fine as a coping mechanism but it it does diminish how damaging it was and it was it as somebody who like I grew up and there's like not more than one member of congress who can re probably remember me as a small child mm -hmm. because my dad was really involved in local politics and I so I grew up around politicians i got pictures going all the way back some hilarious now in retrospect mm -hmm. with a lot of di different people <laughs> put it on the patreon <laughs> 10 year olds and uh a 10 year old me and elliot spitzer there's some oh just... anyway <laughs> I, was, I would pay to see that i would pay to see that <laughs> what a disappointment remember when he was like the future of like good good politicians yeah it was because he was really taking down wall street imagine yeah. having sex with an escort no now <laughs> making ending your political career like that's, that's a good point that's, Ooh, that's if, if, if you were a republican it would be no problem i forget I that's all he did poor ugh. i mean is that really all he did that's that's yeah no he cheated on his wife with an escort and that's, that's not great that's bad but like that know. was it yeah, I mean, and the good wife, they made a whole productive series about it. Like for real. It was good, wild. Anyway, that was <laughs> that was politics in the before time. Children, yeah, anyway. You were not familiar with it. <laughs> we, 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 we need the New York Times to do a framing Elliot Spitzer. <laughs> you know, frankly, <laughs> time is a construct. So if you're not you can't remember what politics was like before 2016, used to be yeah. that that would end your political career. But um, mm -hmm. <laughs> going back to the, the point, which is that, you know, I knew a lot of these people from when I was relatively young and it was really, it really hit me like in week three mm -hmm. after I was like starting to really try to figure out why, uh, my PTSD was acting up. It's like, yeah, because you're talking about like that energy was the same historically as a mob and specifically from my perspective as a black person, a lynch mob and that energy and the beating people who get in your way, even if they're police, ostensibly that was a huge thing, taking people out of jails, deciding that you were going to do your justice, wow. justice, you know, all of that, that it was a collective experience. So that way the mob, in fact, some, it, it loses individual identity. They lose individual culpability. They now feel like they're, they're not responsible for anything that they're doing. And the people on the resulting end, I mean, it's designed for that purpose. That's the point is to terrify people and to create a kind of understanding that if you continue to act the way that you do, continue to assert your own humanity, 
there will be consequences and those consequences will be violent mobs coming into your space and then killing you. And so that is something that like we shouldn't, I, I can't believe I have to say this, but that's not the way our government should work. Like yeah. it was never the way our country should have worked, but it did. That's what we have as a legacy is that people just completely ignored the law, particularly for the sake of black people, Italian people, Asian people, Jews. We can go down the list. There's been a lynching of every ethnic or religious minority in this country's history. There's somebody who's gotten strung up. That's a problem. But for crimes real or imagined, and that's the big one, the imagined crime that sits at the core of this, there is no real offense but the existence of democratic lawmakers and their insistence that they have the right to exercise it. And that is sitting at the core of this. And there are real people who have been impacted. And that's, that's unspeakably awful. Yeah, what you're saying remind like, it's such an important addition to or just additional perspective to a viral clip that from last week of Dean Phillips, I think representative Dean Phillips, who, who said, you know, it was kind of an obvious realization, but but the way he delivered it was really honest. And he said that um, he, he encouraged all of his colleagues to go to the Republican side so they could blend in. And then he realized that only he as a white man could blend in. But the other side of it is like, no, it's not just that the his colleagues of color couldn't blend in. It was like an especially traumatic experience, an evocative experience, not just a matter of not being able to blend in with this crowd, but of a specific context and fear that is rational. I think, ugh. yeah. I mean, I am not going to stop being mad about this insurrection. And I, I kind I of, that's fair. <laughs> I kind of resent the fact that we're all supposed to, I mean, it's, it's an, it's an extremely white paradigm that like, you know, when we talk about erasing race, right? Yeah. Like it's an extremely white paradigm that we're all supposed to be like, oh, well, Republicans aren't going to be convinced and that's just how it is. And, you know, we, uh, you're just making all this fuss and it's like, oh my God, like there was yeah. an assault on our government. People would have died if they had not successfully barricaded the offices. There were panic buttons missing from Ayanna Presley's office, that is terrifying. There are people there. Jim Clyburn said that they had access to an office that does not have his official name next to it. They mm-hmm. knew where the the, Senate, the the House parliamentarian's office was. Like these are really serious problems. And the fact that we've just kind of normalized, like yeah, sometimes people get rowdy and they just break into Congress and threaten to murder and set up a gallows to murder <laughs> Congress people. That's not normal. You yep. should be mad about it. You should still feel bad about it. Like if you do, you're not a bad person and you're not broken. <laughs> that's that's like we you should we Rational should not be reaction right now like this is this is not healing this yeah is, i yeah. think they said i think it might have been john levin on pod save america said something that really stuck with me which is that like there's a reason why we remember uh nixon and watergate differently than iran contra and that like we all have a collective understanding and, and awareness of nixon's crimes or you just even if you don't understand them you psychically know that they were so bad that he got impeached and knew he could get removed and resigned whereas iran contra affair wasn't really addressed 
And those people didn't really face consequences and Reagan didn't face consequences. So there's a, some people who are aware of it and lived through that time and, and know people that suffered just to know about it, but it's, it doesn't have the collective attachment of, of, Oh, that was bad behavior. And if, if anyone ever does anything like that, they will be, that can never happen again. So I think that's, that's why it is. We have to do something to keep pushing for consequences. And that's why we love to bring up the 14th amendment. <laughs> yeah. Let's also not forget, just real quick, Iran-Contra, that was the time that the Reagan administration went around Congress's will and sold arms to Iranians uh, to, to, or they sold, they got a house, they did a whole exchange and basically they sold arms to Iranians so that way they could get the money back and then take that money to fund uh, death squads in Nicaragua, <laughs> which they weren't supposed to do. Just to be clear, they just yeah. completely ignored Congress. To make sh- fun right-wing death squads. I'm glad you said that because anytime anyone says Iran-Contra affair, they should be obliged to then contextualize the whole thing and say, remember that they sold arms to Iran for death squads. Yeah, okay. But people I don't mean, know. I know that sounds insane, but <laughs> we just let that go. It was insane, but exactly so was this. This could have been hundreds of dead lawmakers. So on to Trump's lawyers. Okay. <laughs> Trump's lawyers, Bruce Castor and David Schoen, argued that the Senate doesn't have the authority to conduct an impeachment trial and insisted that the former president hasn't been given due process. There was not much substance to glean here. Um, His, as we know, his legal team turned over as recently as last week. And we also know that they changed their own legal arguments the night before and just switched everything around. It had real Cher Horowitz energy at the end of Clueless. The Washington Post put together this really delightful compilation of the strangest moments. Let's listen. I'll be quite frank with you. We changed what we were going to do on account that we thought that the House manager's presentation was well done. We are generally a social people. We enjoy being around one another. Senators of the United States, they're not ordinary people. And boy, this is a diverse group. We still know what records are, right? On the thing you put the needle down on and you play it. I worked in this building 40 years ago. I got lost then and I still do. I represent the great state of fill in the blank. I saw a headline, representative so-and-so seeks to walk back comments about, I forget what it was, something that bothered her. I don't want to steal the thunder from the other lawyers, but Nebraska, you're going to hear, is quite a judicial thinking place. If the individual state legislatures didn't adopt the Constitution, we would not have it. The floodgates will open. As I was going to say originally, it will release the whirlwind. But I subsequently learned since I got here that that particular phrase has already been taken, so I figured I'd better change it to floodgates. So you might be asking yourself, surely those bizarre and related statements were strung together out of context. And surely the president's legal team, former president's legal team, had a cogent legal argument to defend him from like unprecedented penalty. No, it all sounded like that. Were you surprised? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, it's one thing to have it described to you. And another thing to just hear the non sequitur brain soup. I just want to say that is mean to share Horowitz. I know, I know. I I memed this this morning and people were like, no, sorry, I'm usually with you, but no, you can't do that. And I guess I I guess I apologize. I mean, we all love Cher. That's that's the difference. (laughs) (laughs) She made an honest mistake. (laughs) Anyone could file the August 26th calls with the September 3rd calls. 
Exactly. Ugh. So it all sounded like this. That was actually all Bruce Castor. And this was so bad that one Republican senator was convinced the trial is indeed constitutional. So senators voted on this a couple of weeks ago as just a like, let's test the waters and see. Let's make Democrats think there's no point in doing this anyway. And five Republicans sided with Democrats to say, yes, it's constitutional. But after that display, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, they said Trump's lawyers performed so badly that he basically had no choice as an impartial juror, but to vote for the side that made the better argument. And I'm not paraphrasing. That's what he said. After the senators voted, after that, the senators voted 56 to 44 to proceed with the impeachment trial, which continues today. So, I mean, I feel like there is no path to 17 senators, like no matter what. But I feel like this does mean it puts Republicans in a worse place. They must be furious because this makes them look so bad that they're going to just vote for the, the clearly terrible argument. Yeah, but they've already done that. I know. I think the other thing is, is that as long as there's no electoral cost for doing this, they're going to do it. That is the entire reason that they're going to do it. And they have already, as you know, as I said, we've we've memory hold a lot of the trauma. I mean, it's not like people who experienced it want to talk about it a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. The degree that they do, they get gaslit and told that their reality didn't really happen and it wasn't really that scary and why are you making such a big deal um you know which is like if a two-year-old were having a temper tantrum and not like somebody who had to figure out whether or not they were going to die imminently at the hands of an armed crazed mob and we're just going to ignore the fact that like multiple police officers at this point have committed suicide in the wake of this, which is awful. We've got the fact that over 140 were injured, including people who have lost eyes, limbs. Like you're talking about people who are not going to be able to come back to the force and do their jobs ever again. They've been permanently disabled by the interaction that they have and they have lost parts of their bodies. And we are just going to be like, I know I'm I'm not going to do it. So like mm-hmm. there's this very intense incentive from the same people who are the family members of the people who stormed the Capitol, who are simpatico, who would have done it if they could have afforded it, who are mm-hmm. sitting in, uh, you know, gun drenched bunkers um, in the <laughs> middle of rural states where no one is coming to hurt you. Are you saying they're clinging to guns and religion? <laughs> Am I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I I, I don't want to deal with more Nazis, so I'm just going to no. leave it there. But like, you know, the the truth is that like these there's uh, until that incentive disappears, you're not going to see Republicans switch. And the only way to make that incentive disappear is to make it impossible for them to get elected doing what they do, or in this particular case, make it impossible for them to get elected at all. You know me, I'm over here 14th Amendment in yeah. the whole thing. Right. Make it actually impossible, <laughs> not just politically impossible. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to make things politically impossible when there's a giant groundswell of people who are willing to do, like we've seen what they're willing to do. Like there are people who are just short of the capital insurrection who will feel like oh now it's this is they're getting permission 
this is is the, the Republican Senate is giving them permission to continue to act out this way. They're going to say, oh, it's just this specific thing. So they'll work, find some workaround. But every time they permit it, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen bigger scale. I'm worried about that deeply. And I, I think, yeah, like the most important thing is to nip this in the there's no nipping in the butt. It is a giant tarantula <laughs> vine monster creature. <laughs> Kill it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Politically. Yeah, with votes. we have to. I also think it's pretty telling that, I mean, Trump doesn't need a Republican Senate really anymore. He knows that politically they can't convict him. So I just think it's I just think it's funny that now like who he doesn't care. He doesn't need amazing lawyers. He knows he's going to win the trial. He's not at any risk. So he just makes them look so dumb. But I mean, if I were a Republican senator, I would be furious with him for and I guess he's furious with his lawyers, too, with him for not retaining better counsel and making them look so bad on the historical record, if hope, hopefully this this event is maintained in the historical record as as bad as it actually was, like literally, like as Bill Cassidy said, also he he even said it. He was like, I got, basically what he said was like, what do I want to look like an asshole? Like, yes, they're all gonna look like assholes, and like we said, it probably won't have as much as a political impact as it should. But the Constitution gave us some tools to to suppress those people. Yeah, I. I they they did this last year. Like, I know that it's kind of insane, but last year this time, we had just finished another impeachment trial, okay? So mm-hmm. from my perspective, that's the biggest, the biggest problem is like, yeah, there were more better arranged arguments that time. Um, and we've all been through so much and time as a construct. So we don't really remember <laughs> what it felt like to have them dismiss you know, the very obvious criming that he was doing back then. Like he was, you know, just like crime time, time to do a crime, you know, and he was doing that like all the time. Yep. And and they did it anyway. They were like, oh, I'm not going to vote for this. Mitt Romney was like the only person. And even then he was like, it's okay to not give things to House Democrats like ever. Right. Exactly. I remember that. So we will be watching more today. I heard that today House impeachment managers are going to show never before seen footage, which uh, seems like it will put Republicans in an even worse spot. Um, I like what they're doing so far. I hope they I hope they keep doing it. We'll, we'll be watching and letting you guys know until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Our podcast director is Sean Kilby. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to SupPod at Betches.com. Betches Up. Betches.